Good morning. So this morning's uh, reading is, or the verses for today are from John chapter 5, verses 18 through 24. So before I read them, I just had a thought that it uh, struck me about this reading and all of them. I've got to be careful here. David didn't authorize me any commentary time. Uh, so I recently had a, a chance. I have a friend of mine who serves the deacon in another denomination, which isn't important, but we were talking about uh, responsibilities of the different folks in the church and the things they do. And he was telling me that the clergy uh, has a greater connection because they received, they're, they're considered to be directly connected to the Jesus 12 apostles. And they got their teaching directly from uh, Jesus and that's worked its way down clear to us today through their clergy, which it seemed like an odd thing to me. And the more I've thought about it, uh, it's just amazing to me and I, that's fine that you can you know hold that in reverence, but it strikes me that everybody that hears the word, reads the word, is preached to about the word, gets the teaching directly from the Savior. So, uh, starting in verse 18, for this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own Father and making himself equal with God. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his father doing, because whatever the father does, the son also does. For the father loves the son and shows him all he does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than those so that you will be amazed. For just as the father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the son gives life to whom he is pleased to give it. Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. For all that may honor the Son, just as they honor the Father, whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Very truly, I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. It will not be judged, but has crossed over from death to life. Dear Father, we come today grateful that your word speaks directly to us. Uh, we're grateful for our pastor. We pray that you would empower him to deliver your message in a way that would glorify you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, you should grab one. As we say every week, uh, we can... We can get really excited up here and say really excitable things, and, and me or Adam or Jimmy, someone might have, Nathan might have some one-liner that you really latch to, but all those things come and go, right? Um, what really matters is the word of the Lord, and so that's what we try to do every week. We get into that and more on that here in a minute, but if you, uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's one that looks like this in the seats in front of you. You can open up to uh, John 5, and there'll be some other places we jump around but John 5 be good. Also, uh, if you haven't gotten one of these, uh, I'll talk about the end of service because I like to talk about that. But it's just the book of John. We got tons of them up there. It's the book of John with a journal on it so you can write your thoughts and your deep intimate connections or poetry or whatever you feel so moved as you're reading scripture. And so that's there for you to help study the book of John because we're going through the book of John. Um, I... Uh, have a story that I want to share, and it's tough because I have it, you know, a couple places in my notes and wasn't sure where I was going to put it, but we're just going to start with it, uh, somber as it may be. Um, 
as I was looking around, I was thinking about half the people in this room um, don't quite know this history in the same way, and and some of you that do know this history might not be connected with it in the same way or uh, or something, but you might you might remember parts of it. I was with the youth. Uh, if you notice, there's there's a chunk missing, and that's where uh, someone made a joke about a lopsided ship or something. You look around like, wait, what's happening? Like really nailing that back row Baptist thing today. Um, ah, I said I wasn't going to make that joke, and then I did. I'm sorry. No offense to all of you sitting in the back. I that's terrible. I take that back, kind of. Uh, but anyway, so uh, youth is gone right there up in uh, Encounter Cove and, and having their youth camp and doing some mission work up there. So I was, I was there late last night doing some worship, talking to them. And I got to talk to a couple leaders about this, people that had kind of walked with my wife and I from this journey of us like just visiting the church being members, and here we are as the pastor. How did that happen? Man, that's a cool story for another time. But those of you who've been around for a while, you might remember about 10 years ago, maybe nine, um, in this church, there it was kind of a somber time, and, and maybe you were blinded to it, maybe you just saw the ripple, but um, I mean, the fact remains, there there's about something like 65 families, give or take, that no longer attend here. Um, there was, you know, uh, potentially around 300 people that filled the room. And if you're a business person, you're like, whoa, we've really, really lost it, right? Uh, and, and what happened was, um, again, I wasn't here for this, but there was some, some sin in, in the church and some of the leaders, um, some of the ways that was dealt with. Uh, hindsight, some people really regret how that was dealt with and wish it was done differently, which is, that's fine. That's not, we're not here to talk about that. In fact, we had uh, early on, we, uh, in, in pastoring here, we had a, a bread-breaking night of repentance over that. It was a beautiful thing that God did. And so I'm not here to just kick up dust. But what, what I want to draw us towards is just remember, there was a time when Memorial's future was very uncertain. And no matter how die-hard Memorial person you are, you know, really committed to the, the machine here, uh, just even by sheer numbers, it was like, man, can we afford to, to keep being here, I mean, it's a big tension. Um, there, there were youth ministers that came and went. Um, the, there was tension with who was going to be on staff. And, and, and that's not the point. The point isn't to start the service by reminding you how awful things used to be. Oh, that's a bummer. Uh, here's the point. As early members, Nikki and I were here, and there was a meeting that happened downstairs in the fellowship hall. Some of you might remember it well. I, it's very vivid to me. Um, there, there was a lot of tension and uh, some staff had to step out and come back at different times and there was this big question mark of what we we're going to do financially. Everyone was insecure and angry. There were people who were prophetically gifted that were saying intense harsh things and there were people who were pastorally gifted that was trying to guard people and it was like they're all butting heads. It was, it, was, it was crazy. It was really intense. And there was a couple people that said, hey, let's stand together and hold hands and pray. And it wasn't this cutesy kumbaya thing. You guys, shake your head if you remember this. Um, there was a circle of people in this meeting downstairs. And I, I remember Mike Sullivan specifically. Um, thank God that, that my, uh, God spoke through him. But these people prayed with the understanding that no matter where they stood on the spectrum of, well, I'm right about money, I'm right about leadership, here's where we messed up the missions team, here's how we messed up with sin, all those people took a moment to step back. And that might have been perfect, some people might have been 60-40, some people might have been 90-10, but they still, they held hands together as one and said, there is an authority higher than us. There is a king, and we're going to trust in him. And since that moment... You saw 
continually people gathering to pray and God doing very strange things. I could talk about the story of how God uh, put my wife and I, you know, I said I would never do the youth ministry here. It was a rude thing I said right when we first started visiting here and somehow I was doing the youth ministry and I told several people, I won't be your hired holy man. I'm sorry that the pastor left. I won't. Some of you were in the leadership team meeting when I said, I, Nathan and I won't be your sermon machine. That's what I said. I said, Nathan preaches, I preach, you've uh, licensed him. We're not sermon machines. And so I was trying to guard against like the church just throwing people behind the pulpit. I was so against it. And somehow here I'm, I'm the pastor. And, and that's not the point of the story to say, look at me or look. Here's, here's something interesting. If you look back and see what God did. Our church decided to say, hey, we're going to put Jesus as the primary authority. We're going to trust his word. And so when Adam and I stepped in, which is another interesting story, uh, Adam would be laughing if he was here. Um, there, there was this moment where uh, Adam and I don't remember how he got involved in this. Um, like, I was like, God told me to do this. And then, then I was like, we, we need to have a plurality, so I should bring in Adam. And like, we weren't like BFFs or hanging out a ton. It was just like, it was just the right thing to do. And so as Adam and I started shepherding this church, we said, man, we need something to get everyone behind. Like, that's, that's what you do in a Western organization, right? You need a vision statement of, we need to get the locomotive down, something, some sort of military cry, let's go. That was the idea, right? And and we just kept thinking, man, there is nothing. This Worship Connect Grow Go, that came years later, right? There was, there was nothing. We were just like, what, what do we do? And what we decided was all authority on heaven and earth was given to Jesus. And we hung this banner up. And that's, I think, the second or third iteration of that banner. But it's always had Matthew 20, 18 through 20. And what we decided was if Memorial shuts its doors because of, you know, the ripple of sin and people leaving and financial tensions, if they shut their doors any time in the next months or years, we will shut our doors knowing that we ended preaching the gospel, that we put Jesus as king. The point is that everything you've seen happen in this church in its history and, and I can speak definitely to the, the last uh, seven, eight years, it's because we've said that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. See, what Adam and I said, and this isn't a part, look at Adam and I, that's not the point. The point is to look at King Jesus because we said, hey, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus, and he's with us always. And if you believe, if you believe that he has all authority, you believe that he's with you always, he's not just some deity up in the clouds, some sugar daddy that spun the world and said, go on, children, good luck. If you actually believe he's with you always, that he has all authority, then your only response is to be his disciple, to make other disciples, to follow him, to see the world change, his kingdom come, his will be done. And as I look around and I think of the people baptized, the, the ways God has grown things, the people that visit, the, the stories of redemption, what I see is all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. There's no superheroes here. There is King Jesus. C.S. Lewis said... Christianity, if false, is of no importance. And if true, of infinite importance. The only thing it cannot be is moderately important. Jesus is either who he says he is. He is everything. Every week we say what? Jesus is everything. Say Jesus is everything. Jesus is either everything or we're just playing and have a really lame hobby. That's it. Those are the options. It can't be in between. We can't have this in between. Like, ah, I kind of I like this Jesus thing because sometimes I want to be healed and I definitely don't want to go to hell. But also, uh, I think that, you know, drinking and golf and doing life my way is the most important thing. See, that's not the option. 
Christianity can't be moderately important. It's either everything or it's nothing. Those are the two options. And, and so as I look at a people gathered in the fellowship hall saying, man, we can't figure out how we agree on this, that, or the other, but we are unified by King Jesus. He has all authority. I have hope that God is going to continue to do things. He's going to continue to move. And as we have uh, baptisms in a couple weeks, we continue to see stories of redemptions, God changing people's lives. We say he must have all authority. What happened in this scripture, as you see, if you open to John 5, Adam preached last week about this healing at the pool. It's the, uh, the third sign, I believe. Uh, I forgot to write that down, but uh, Jesus heals this man. And, and we wanted to do like a whole thing on Sabbath. And then we kind of were like as shepherds, you know, other gospel writers care a lot more that this is on Sabbath. John uh, definitely mentions it, don't get me wrong. But that's not the main point. John's main point here is authority. That, that the Pharisees, the Jewish leaders, the religious leaders, they have their paradigm of authority and you assimilate to that. And they happen to be at the top, so hooray for them. Um, and then everyone else is beneath that, right? And then Jesus steps in and says, no, 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 I have all authority. And it really upsets them. In fact, what the Bible says is that now they want to kill Jesus. They want to persecute him because he's continually, the Greek language here is he's continually breaking the Sabbath or breaking the rules that they've set up on top of God's rules. And he claims to be uh, that God is his father. There's an authority tension here. Look at uh, John 5, 16 through 19. And this is why the Jews were persecuting Jesus. Because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. He's breaking their man-made rules. Hey, you can't tell someone to pick up their mat, right? But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. There is such an exciting message there about how Sabbath works and work and rest, and how like they're saying, Hey, you're not resting the way we tell you to rest. And he's like, No, 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 I'm working, and my father's working in ways you don't even see. Uh, before uh, next year, when we go through spiritual disciplines, when we talk about Sabbath, let me just give you two quick thoughts on Sabbath. This is in my notes, but I gotta say it. Sabbath is a requirement from God. It's a command. If you don't have a pattern of rest, then it's probably because of arrogance or something some sort of cultural paradigm that you're in that says, I am what I do. The beautiful thing about Sabbath is God is working while you're resting. The very first way they celebrated Sabbath was to eat and go to bed. Do you trust God to eat and go to bed and say, I don't need to work because God's already finished it. He's already taken care of it. This is why we have a weekly posture of Sabbath. We rest not just because we need it, which God knows we do, and that's beautiful that we get to rest. There's all sorts of science to back that up, but we rest because it's a way to weekly trust, to have a pattern to say, God is above. He's working. I don't need to work. My father is working until now, and I am working. Verse 18. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. There's an authority issue here. They have a tension with that. We're saying Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. And, and I think we can relate to this tension they have. Uh, you know, in, in our culture, let's, let's be real. We like the Jesus that gives us love and grace. He can have authority if he gives us the good stuff. Like, I mean, thumbs up. Do you like forgiveness? Forgiveness, good. Grace, good. Love, we like that. That's good, right? Jesus can have authority if that's the result, right? What about if you're sick and he heals you? Is that good authority? Yeah, I like that. I like being healed. What, you know, uh, healed from addiction, mental illness, uh, brokenness, all those sorts of things. That's really good. What about Jesus' authority in day-to-day -day life? In the patterns, the paradigms, the postures that we cling so tightly to? I've got a list here that I've been wrestling with. Does Jesus have authority over your family? 
how you grow as a parent, how you grow as a spouse. Does Jesus get, get some say in that? Does he have authority in that? What about how your kids date, how they spend their time? Does Jesus have any say about what sports your kids play and how much time they spend doing that? What, what high school activity? Or does Jesus only care about your kid when they graduate high school, when they've had that good experience? Does Jesus have all authority in those situations? What about your singleness in your dating life, in the apps that you choose to date? Hey, boomers and older, don't down on people using apps to date, okay? Uh, we've done two or three weddings of people who've met through apps, and praise God, it's been really great, and they're still married, and they're seeking the Lord, so be kind to those people. But if you're using an app to try to figure out your singleness, hey, have you, does Jesus have a say over that? Like, what, what's the deal there? What about your hobbies? How you spend your time? Does Jesus have all authority over those things? Your career, the steps that you're taking in life, the next thing, your retirement? What about what you eat, what you consume? Careful, hold on. Yikes. What you put into your body and your mind. Does Jesus have authority over the shows that you watch, the food that you drink, the music you listen to? Did I say the food you drink? I think I did. <laughs> those of you who blend your meals, the podcast you listen to, does Jesus have authority over those things? What about your fitness? Those of you who are fitness people, right? I did one burpee this morning, uh, right when I walked in to joke with Nathan, so I'm one burpee ahead of some of you. Ha! beat that. But does Jesus have authority over that? Because you've heard me talk about this before. That can be something kind of for me that's like, no, this is my thing. I care most about this. This is a bigger deal. It's a struggle, right? Does Jesus have authority over those things? We live in a, a consumeristic society. A sociologist will tell you how, how we value so much what we can consume and what we can hoard and hold on to. And although that marks most societies through all of history, we can talk about a scarcity mentality and all that. In general, our society is we want more, and the more we have, the more we feel like we've overcome. Does Jesus have authority? in how much food you consume, how much media you consume, how you pursue your health. What about how you spend your money? Does, when's the last time that Jesus got to speak into what your bank account looks like, how generous you are? Or do you just have these standards that you've propped up? Well, this one Christian guy that's really popular told me to do these things, therefore that's probably right. And it also happens to cushion my bottom line, so I feel pretty good about it. Ah, does Jesus have authority? Now, I'm, I'm not just here to make everyone uncomfortable and tell you a story about our church history and make you uncomfortable. This is the tension. This is the question the Pharisees are stepping into. The religious are like, hold on. If you're saying that you're equal with God, that means we need to hang on every word. And, and that's a problem. That challenges our authority. That challenges our paradigms. This morning, as we start wrestling with this, we want to consider this discomfort of Jesus having authority, not just to give us the good things we want, but actually authority over all of our life. Why should we trust Jesus with those things? This morning, we're going to look at authority and love, and because it's been like three weeks since I've moved the chalkboard, then here we go. We get to move it. You excited? Say, I'm excited. Oh, you're excited. I'm only writing two words on it. That's, it's not a big Sunday. I, had, I was going to have Alyssa come up here and draft some things. It's been like three years since she's done that, but you're welcome. Uh, say authority. authority. Say it again so I can think about it as I spell it. Yeah, say it with authority. Authority. Carrie says that I write my N's and H's like a psycho, so you can judge me on that. Authority, say love. Love. That's what we're going to talk about today. Authority and love. Look back at the verses, starting in verse 19, John 5, 19. So Jesus said to them, like they're wanting to kill him, 
because he's claiming to be equal with God. Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father doing. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. And greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. So you may, you may marvel, you may question, you may grow in wonder. So that you may be confounded as some will translate that word. It's interesting that these people that Jesus is talking to that's challenging him his, in his still love for them and his connection to me saying, hey, this work that you're concerned of, again, this play on words with work on the Sabbath, this work that you're so concerned about, greater works, more offensive works, crazy works, you can't imagine you're going to see that will make you marvel. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's funny that instead of Jesus saying something like, I love you, go in peace. No, no, no. Jesus digs in his heels and says things more like, hey, you want to go? Let's go. Let's talk. You want to see works? I got something for you. You keep watching. I'm really going to ruffle your feathers. In fact, kill me. He's, he's digging down. He's not saying, oh, wait, you guys are trying to kill me? Mm-mm. Because Jesus knows that he has all authority. They have nothing on him. He says, you want to see works? And it's interesting now that John chooses to write this for us to see. Wait, now we're wondering, as the reader, we're like, wait a minute. After this sign, we've seen a few of these signs. What greater works? What's going to make me marvel and wonder? He's pulling you in. What's Jesus doing? Jesus is mentioning the Father and Son here. That, it, we've talked about this before, but it, as soon as we step into Trinity stuff, there's a tension because it's a huge, great, meaningful doctrine in church. And it, it marks us as Christians. It, it's such a beautiful, powerful thing. Jesus doesn't mention all three here. Uh, that comes a little bit later. And so uh, don't get tense as we start to explain this. But what Jesus is explaining is that there's a special relationship with the Father and Son. You see it. And, and so we want to say, okay, the Father, Son, and the Spirit are an eternal, perfect, righteous relationship relationship with each other in love and glory, where they are distinct from each other, but yet one, right? And so, uh, yeah, uh, as soon as you define Trinity, then someone's like, wait a minute, wait a minute, because that's the whole tension, right? But they, they are three in one, as they say, but we can't do things like apple pie or egg or whatever, so those things all break down, right? What we have to say is we have a limitation of language, we have a limitation of knowledge. So we, we understand in a sense, and we're taking what Jesus says, he's saying, okay, you're distinct, Jesus is not saying, you see, perfectly one, no difference, no, 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 because he says father and son. And he's saying that we're, we're one, but also there's something distinct there. Many popular religions try to limit Jesus, reduce him. Uh, Islam, Mormonism, uh, several, several religions, uh, Jehovah's Witness. And what they're trying to do is make it clear that, that Jesus is so separate from God that we don't want to lose out on who God is and we need to reduce Jesus. Uh, people talk about a high Christology and a low Christology, those sort of tensions, and, and those religions are almost completely removing the Christology from it. There's a tension there. Here's what Jesus is saying. He's stepping all aside. He's saying, Jesus and the Father are one in will and action. Say, will and action. <laughs> Jesus and the Father are one in will and action. That's literally what his words are saying here. Where does Jesus' authority come from? Well, he's the Son of God. And more, he is one with the Father in will and action. Look at Colossians 1.15. Paul writes, he is the image of the invisible God. Jesus is saying, you want to know what God looks like? Look at me. You want to know how God acts? Look to me. You want to understand this, this big deity, the Father? Then look to me. Because we're one in will and action. He is the image of the invisible God. Trinity people... Holy Spirit people, hang on. 
We're going to get there. In a couple weeks, we're going to talk about the witnesses Jesus mentioned, the Holy Spirit's in there. John does a huge thing on the Holy Spirit later on in John 14, 15. We're going to get there. So we can't this morning unpack the whole role of the Trinity because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about authority and love, right? So don't, don't sit here and think, oh, this is a moment where we miss out on the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. Holy Spirit's essential. We're just trying to follow John where he's going here. And right now he's bringing us into the Father and Son, right? He's mentioned the Spirit before, right? And so we're trying to curiously say, what is John trying to draw us into? The Holy Spirit's essential, right? That's where we get transformation. That's where we, we uh, grow in sanctification. That's, that's what enters us to mark us, to seal us, as Paul says. We've talked several times up here. We'll get there, just not today. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. So, so what do we do with life and death? I mean, we would argue, like, when we're trying to ask the big questions of the world, and we're, we're asking big questions of authority, like, those are some of the hardest conversations with my kids, is it not? Talking about life and death, talking about, about what does it mean to live, what, what is death, and what happens after death, all these sort of things. Jesus goes on, John 5, 21. For the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, so also the Son gives life to whom he will. Lean in. For the Father judges no one, but he has given all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes, there's that word again, trust, belief, faith, right? Whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but is passed from death to life. Monotheistic Jews held a, a, a passionate core belief that God the Father has, has two main authorities. And we, we could debate like what that means, main authorities. But there are two things that, that monotheistic Jews held that God did. In God was life. That's it. Whatever it means to live, and you could lump wisdom in there and all that. He is the one who's breathed, ruach, breathed the spirit into our lungs. In him is life. And in him is judgment. One day he will make it all right. One day he will judge and he's going to fix this mess that we've brought about. He's going to fix this mess that all these people are bringing upon us. All the junk around. He's going to judge and fix it. He has life and he has judgment. We're going to spend all next Sunday talking about judgment. We'll talk a little bit about this Sunday. You want to understand the judgment of God? We're going to talk about it next week. But monotheistic Jews held that God has ultimate authority in life and judgment. Say life. life. Say judgment. Yeah. Say judgment like it's a heavy word. Judgment. <laughs> judgment. Great. Jesus says he has both. Listen. Jesus says he has both. He has authority for life. He has authority for judgment. How does this not diminish then who God is? Jesus is focusing it. He's saying, you want to know what this looks like? You want to know what life looks like? Again, he is the image of the invisible God. What does it mean to have life? What does it mean to have eternal life? What is life in general? Look to Jesus. He has authority in life. What does it mean for things to be made right, for judgment? What does it mean that, that, that bad things happen to good people and there's junk all over the world and, and, and I keep praying and there's still addiction and there's all these problems and where are you, God? What's going on? Look to Jesus. Because Jesus has all authority in life, in judgment. We'll talk more about judgment next week. But Jesus is the judge because he took on all the judgment in his death. And he has life because he is alive. 
say he is alive. Jesus is resurrected. He's not dead. We don't worship a, a God that came and died and then, oh, it's all made better. No, no, no. Jesus is alive. We have an empty tomb. We acknowledge that he has all authority in heaven and earth because he took on judgment. He took on sin. He took on evil. He took on death. He took on our punishment so that he could bring us life so that we could pass through judgment, so that judgment wouldn't crush us. Some translations say condemnation more in this next week, but the word means separated, right? So that we wouldn't be separated. He took all that on. Jesus is life and judgment because he took on death. He took on the judgment for us. John 20, 31, as John defines, as we read most weeks, he says, these things I've written, this whole book they're reading. So John 5 is included in this. This is why John's written this. So that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you might have life in his name. Say life. Life in his name. Not existence. When we get to John 8, we'll talk a lot about evil and the father of lies and the devil, and we'll do a whole thing on spiritual uh, forces and that sort of thing. But in general, you need to know that Jesus declares that the devil is the father of lies. And I believe, I love you, I believe that so many of us walk in mere existence and we belied to to believe that that's life. And Jesus stands before these people and says, hey, there's something you must be missing because I'm life. And so this thing you're living that you think's life, this is the life, the good life. This is what it means to truly live. No, that's just existence. You're walking dead, as we'll talk about next week. Jesus is the life. And these things that John's writing is so that we would believe that in Jesus' name, not your name, not in America's name, not in your grandma's faith's name, in Jesus' name, you will have life. Why? Because Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. Because he took on judgment. Because he took on death. Because he has authority over life and judgment. Let's talk about love. Say love. love. So Jesus in verse 20, you can read it. It says what? That him and the Father, they exist in a relationship of... The word's right there. It's okay. Love, right? For the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. It's so interesting to see this verse. Like, like why did Jesus, when, when Jesus drills it, just think about it for a minute. If you're standing before religious muckety-mucks, people who know the Bible, people who have authority, why would your flex, if you've been around from the beginning of time, and you're trying to, we talk kind of about um, the kind of jujitsu ninja stuff that happens between Jesus and the Pharisees where like he says something and then they try to usurp him, then he asks another question. It's just this constant like karate match that Jesus always wins, right? Why would Jesus drill down here on love? Fascinating. And the John, like, like why doesn't Jesus say, pull out some really deep quote from the Old Testament that only he would know to prove Ah, actually, see these things you think you know? Boom, roasted, mic drop, King Jesus, what? No. In, in his trajectory, he wants us to know, wait a minute. You want to understand the Father and Son? Look to me. Also, the Father and the Son exist. They're bound together in a relationship of love. 
In John 3, he says this already. John 3, 35, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, and, and we get, uh, you know, arguably, are those Jesus' words or those John's commentary? Uh, we're not too sure. But uh, at the end of John 3, we see these verses. John 3, 35, the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Again, more on judgment and wrath next week. But you can immediately see a theme in John. There's a bond between the father and son, and it is love. Not one of master and slave, not one of employer and employee, not even as some disassociated father and son that we might relate to. We, we can read stories in the Old Testament of father and son. You can kind of be like, is there love there? I don't know. No, Jesus goes outright and says it. There's a bond here of love. John's sowing a theme for us. And if you just do a word study on the times that John uses the word love, and we could talk about the different Greek words of love and how people over-exegete those and they really go nuts about this. Let me just pop a bubble for you real quick. We'll get there too when we get to John 20. But um, it's weird theology to say that agape, phileo, and then eros is over here. Like, if that's your camp, you need to understand that Jesus destroys that very quickly. Because Jesus uses the word phileo in times where you think you should be using agape, and he uses the term agape when sometimes you think you should be using phileo. And so the point is that Jesus is actually being specific with the kind of word that he's using for love. And he's trying to invite you in to the times where there's phileo and agape, and that really the broad understanding of there's an intimate love happening here, that's a better, healthier choice for us. That wasn't in my notes. I just studied that this week and felt like we needed to, to pop that. John sows this thread of love. The first time the word love is used in John, do you know where? You've got it memorized. It's a famous John verse. John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world. We've got some verses here. Let's run a theme through John here real quick. Let me move this because I always put this in the way and people can't see. So sorry. We're going to run a theme here. Did that ruin it for you? Oh, Katie. Poor Katie. Is that, is that fine? Next time you can move it. Is that okay? Okay, sorry. Yeah, because then you'd have to come up here. Do you want me to quit talking to you and giving you all the attention? I'm so sorry. Uh, everyone clap for Katie. No, don't, please. Um, so... John has a theme of love that he runs through all of it. You see here, John 3.16. For God so... We're going to do this like rap concert thing where when I point to you, you need to say the word, right? So what's the word? Or some version of it. It's going to be on the screen. God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. That seems to be what John's saying over and over and over. You want to live? You want to have eternal life? You want to get away from mere existence? You want to get away from all the questions you have about like, what does it mean? Why does this thing you have to believe in Jesus because Jesus is everything. Jesus is life. And this happened because God loved the world. John 3, 19, so interesting, he goes on to say, and this is the judgment. This is the verdict. Light has come into the world and the people loved the darkness. So God so loved the world, he loved you, but we loved the darkness. We didn't want to be in the light because we'd be exposed. They love the darkness rather than light because their works were evil. Later on it goes on to say they'll be exposed. John 8, Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. If you really saw the father, if you really believed in Yahweh and you sought him and you knew him, you would love me. For I come from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Next, John 12. 
Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Jesus. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they... They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. That sounds like John 3. They love the darkness. God loves you. You love the darkness. You love your own glory. You love what protects you and makes you safe. That is not life. That's existence. That's actually death, as Paul would define it, as Jesus would define it. They loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. We could spend a lot of time on that. We're going to move on. John 13. Jesus says, a new command I give you, that you... One another, just as I have, also you are too. Ah, so now we start stepping into this. Wait a minute. God loves us. He wants us to love him. And by loving him, then he wants us to love others. Oh, man. Now you're starting to see a thread. John 14, 23. Jesus answered him, if anyone, he will keep my word and my father will. And he will come to him and make our home with him. We'll abide with him. We'll be one with him. Just as the Father and the Son is unified and bound together in love. If you believe in Jesus, if you follow Jesus, if you obey him, you are then bound with him in love. And therefore you can go and love others. Next. John 15, 9. As the Father has, so have I. Abide in my love. John 15, 12. This is my commandment that you... One another as I have. You're so sick of this, but you're doing so good. John 15, 17. These things I command you so that you will. Are you getting it? The reason we're saying it over and over is because, John, if if you're reading this, if you were reading this in in another language, like we love the word love, but also the word love kind of gets neutered and meaningless to us. So we skip over this. But when you start seeing the way John sews this thread in over and over, John's making a point here. He's saying, hey, you know, a couple times before when I mentioned the word love, one of them was that God so loved the world. The next one is that, but the world loved darkness. And the next one is that the Father loved the Son. All of a sudden, you see, here's the point. God is in an eternal, perfect, right, good relationship with the Son. It's bound in love. And because of that love, he extends that to you and asks that you love him. And thereby, loving him, you love others. Isn't it interesting? Church, lean in. Isn't it interesting that a big tension in our culture is what it means to love? And we redefine love to say love is love. It's relative. It's whatever you think it is. And it completely destroys the idea of what it means to love. Because what is love? We say in our church all the time, what is love? It is commitment and sacrifice. Love is commitment and sacrifice. We know this because God is love. 1 John 4 tells us that. Jesus is love. God the Father and God the Son are in a relationship of love together, extending it to us. And we know that because God so loved the world that he sent. He sacrificed his only son because of his commitment to you, his commitment to me, his commitment to us. Love is commitment and sacrifice. The problem with the love in your marriage is that you've misunderstood what love and uh, what commitment and sacrifice is. The problem in the loving relationship with your family, with your, with your job, with your life, is that you've misunderstood what commitment and sacrifice are. This is how Jesus can say, I am life. Because part of life is love. It's an essential part of life, as Jesus would say. In fact, it's so essential that it's the eternal binding force between God and, and Jesus, right? And don't misunderstand the word force. It's, it's, it's the binding nature. That's what they're together in, in love, right? And he comes and he says, no, no, no. I offer that love to you.
Jesus came to sacrifice because of his commitment to us. Brendan Manning says this, my deepest awareness, lean in, this is great. My deepest awareness of myself is that I am deeply loved by Jesus Christ and I have done nothing to earn it or deserve it. That is his deepest awareness of himself. Define yourself radically as one beloved by God. This is the true self. Every other identity is an illusion. Jesus wants you to know that you're loved by the Father and Him. And He desires that you love Him and follow Him. What does Jesus do? Think about this. Jesus is telling them, I have authority. I have all authority. And that authority, we said, is what? He's saying it's life, it's judgment. What does Jesus do with that authority given to Him by God? He takes on our judgment and He dies so that we can have life. Why would he do this? Romans 6 helps us. Romans 6, 4. And we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Implying that we're not walking in new life. We need life that we don't have. 1 Peter 2, 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Why? Because he loves us. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. This hits the road for me and the other shepherds uh, in 2 Corinthians 5. And, and I think that this verse is tricky because it's, it's, it's more for me, but I felt led to, to share it to you guys because Paul is writing here in 2 Corinthians about an issue with people not trusting him and Apollos and, and their, their boys, like, like their, their eldership, their leadership. Paul's, uh, they're not, the Corinthians aren't trusting that. And there's a lot of tension and they're giving in to these false teachings. You can go and read it. That's what First and Second Corinthians is all about, these things that are getting adulterated. But here's, here's what Paul says that continues to, to motivate me and I think is a ripple message to all who read it as well. For the love of Christ compels us. Some translations say controls us. The love of Christ is what controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Jesus is the judge and he is life. He is life because he has defeated death. We have life in his name because he took on our judgment, because he is alive. Where do you have life? This is the question God puts before us this morning. What, what is life to you? Maybe there's a thing that comes up that says, this is what is so important to me. Our culture tends to measure life by time, energy, and money. So where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your money? Where do you spend your energy? What is life to you? Or, or maybe if you were to have regret in your life, say, man, I wish I would have done this. What would that look like? What's the thing? What is life to you? How would you know if you're just merely existing, trajecting towards death, not living life we only have life in the name of Jesus. Say authority. authority. Say love. love. Jesus has all authority. Life and judgment. You are loved. This morning as we 
have a time of response. What do you do with this? Like, what a heavy bomb to be dropped on. I mean, we're talking about life, and, and that's a theme in John that we've rippled through. What do you do with the tension or the, the weight put on you, the questioning of what, what is life? What does life mean to me? Am I merely existing? How would I know what life is? We say so often, give your life to Jesus. In fact, Jesus here, he says, truly, truly, I say to you, verse 24, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He doesn't come into judgment, but he passes from death to life. We say, give your life to Jesus. We say, believe. I think sometimes that language falls flat because we make it mental ascension or we make it something we did as a kid. And so we've, we've got that checked out. Here, here's a, a different question. Is the trajectory of your life one under the authority of Jesus Christ? Do you believe in him in such a way that you can say, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to Jesus. All authority of my time has been given to Jesus. All authority of my money has been given to Jesus. All authority of my perceptions, my ideals, my paradigms, my beliefs, my political stances, all the things that I get so fired up about on social media. All authority for those things actually is in the hands of King Jesus. Because in his hands is life. Everything else is just merely existence. It's some lie from the enemy, from the world, the flesh, the devil, to draw us away. You think, we have a, we have a problem with authority. And, and I, I hear you. Maybe you're like, man, I don't know how to, how to do that. Or coming under, the word authority is a tension for us because uh, we love popular movies, television shows, uh, things that remind us that authority is corrupt. We have all been in relationships that have hurt us. We've seen religious authorities crush people all through history. Even today, somewhere in this city, religious authority is crushing someone. Because evil's trying to make it very apparent that you can't trust authority. The most important authority is you. That's why the, the first thing the servant said, Hey, did God really say? Can you really trust his authority? No, you could be like God. You could decide good from evil. And so all of a sudden we have this authority tension. But, but as a parent, I know that regardless of what my kids think, I'm still their authority. And, and, and if I rule over my kid just to create some robot that's a good citizen, that does the right thing, that marches and, and beats to all the right authoritarian drums, I'm not actually being a good parent. If I love them, I also don't just let them do whatever they want because they'll come to their own and it's their choice. Yeah, forget that. That's junk too. If I love them, I guide them in what's true because I want them to have life. And so as a good parent, there's a love relationship where they trust my authority because they see my life and know I have life. I'm guiding them. I'm good. And I love them. Jesus has made it utterly apparent through his life, death, and resurrection that he has life, that he is good. He is everything. So whatever issues you have with authority, whatever things that are keeping you from giving your life to Jesus, from trusting in him, he's given you this moment. Listen to me. He's brought you here today for a reason. What in your life doesn't have his authority? I don't need to go through the list. But today as we have a time of response as, as Nathan plays, I want to encourage you to do a couple things. This isn't just a time where you're like, sermon was over. I had no idea this guy had that much in him. Goodness gracious, wins lunch. Like, no, no, no. Forget that. Forget that. God brought you here for a reason. And, and, and I pray that God has you forget all the things I said that weren't supposed to be said. Because I, who knows, man? We're reading the Bible and trusting in King Jesus. May his spirit move. But right now is your time to respond. And you can either continue to say, I have life. I know good from evil. I've decided what is good. And I don't need this. That's fine. 
But one day God will say, okay, your will be done and you'll be separated. We're going to talk about that next week. Or right now, you can open your hands and worship him and say, Father, show me in Jesus' name where I don't have life where I'm just merely existing. What parts of my life, what parts of my parenting, my time, my money, my, my job, my career, my addiction, my, my constant need for porn, my constant need to find a dating relationship, where in my life am I not trusting? Am I not letting you be life? But I still believe I'm in control. I have authority. Either Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth, or he doesn't in your life. May this be a time where we respond to him in how he has authority. Church, I would ask that you continue to pray that God would guide us as one body to seek King Jesus. We say to all those who visit our church, we're a church that reads the words of King Jesus and seeks to follow them as one body. That's what we're doing. That's why we're going through the words of John. And John tells us now that Jesus has all authority over life, over judgment. As you stand, I encourage you to have this posture. Open your hands, ask the Lord, Where is life in your name? Where am I missing this? Where do I not trust your authority? And may God's spirit guide and convict us in these moments. Let's pray. Father, I ask that you would guide us as we respond. Thank you for how your spirit moves. Thank you for giving us this moment here to hear your gospel, to to believe in you that, that, that Jesus is everything, that he died so that we could live that he's alive. God, if there are those here that, that need to confess with their mouth, Jesus is Lord, believe in their heart that, that you raised him from the dead, I pray your spirit would move in that way, that we would have time to pray together. If there's people that need to, to come up front to lay things down, to open their hands, to trust in your authority, God, I pray by the power of your spirit beyond any distraction from the world, the flesh, the devil, whatever's around, God, that you would pull those things away and your truth would remain. Deliver us from evil, Father. May we hear your truth and respond. May we believe that Jesus has all authority in heaven and earth. And thank you. Thank you with that authority that it's in love, that you love us. And may we believe that you love us. Guide us as we respond to you. Amen. If you need someone to pray with, if you need to lay something down, come up, we'll talk about it. This is your time to respond.